From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we are looking at failed tech products to see what we can learn by studying their demises. My name is Quinn Nelson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Quinn. How are you? I'm well. Good week. Yeah, pretty good. It's, uh, you know, we're together. We're going to talk about a failed tech product. But what more could a, could a man want? I, I really don't know. I'm very, very satisfied, especially because today we are talking about one of the most spectacular fails in recent history, uh, something that really only lasted about 48 days on the market and cost Microsoft more than $1 billion. Ooh. And we're, of course, yeah, that's a lot of money, right? We're, of course, talking about the Zoom. Wait. Uh, no, wait, not no. the Zoom. We already did that one. Uh, the Microsoft Kin. Yeah. If, Which was a real thing. If you're out there scratching your head wondering, I don't remember the Microsoft Kin, you're not alone. <laughs> nobody nobody remembers it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So before we get to that, we need to talk about Danger. And no, not Quinn's middle name, but uh, Danger, <laughs> well, the company, know? Danger, Inc. Okay. Okay. Who are they? I don't know. It was co-founded back in 1999 by former Apple employee Andy Rubin. Ah, of Android fame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His his fame more recently is not quite as not good. It Great. turns out to be a creepy guy. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Danger was massively successful for their hip top series of phones. More commonly known here in the US as the sidekick. It was on T Mobile. Do you remember the sidekick? Absolutely. The sidekick was crazy popular. Yeah, it was really cool. It had this flip out screen and its own operating system. It was very popular and well known in the pre iPhone smartphone market, particularly amongst the youths. It's my perception that kids on Sprint and Verizon had the Razor, and then kids on T-Mobile had the Sidekick. Because I think there was, for a while, those two phones were exclusive to those specific carriers. I know the Sidekick was always exclusive to T-Mobile. And as a, as a kid, I was kind of jealous of my friends that were on T-Mobile. Not for the service, of course, because that was terrible, but because of the Sidekick. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it was really popular for a couple of years. Uh, sales on the Sidekick slowed uh, in later years, obviously, as BlackBerry and Palm picked up the business customers, the people who needed to do real work. And then the iPhone and, and kind of early Android smartphones began to appeal to the younger crowd. Uh, but Microsoft still saw a lot of potential in dangerous software and their manufacturing partnership with with Sharp, who was made, uh, they made all of the Sidekick models, almost. There were a couple weird one-offs that were made with other companies but Sharp made the majority of them. And Microsoft purchased Danger Incorporated for $500 million in 2008. It's funny how little money that seems like it is now. <laughs> like I know there's some inflation over the last yeah. few years, but not that much money. All these gig economy brands that are worth billions and have never made a dollar before. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So hmm. by 2009, rumors of a, quote, Project Pink unquote, smartphone, for Microsoft began to emerge. I totally remember this. Oh, see, I don't. I remember the kin, but I don't remember Project Pink. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a big deal. Okay. And we're going to talk about this in a minute, but Microsoft was late to the game. Like, oh, they're going to get in here. Like, they're going to do something. Sure. So that was Project Pink. It was going to bring an entirely new operating system. So independent from iPhone OS, Android, Web OS, or even Windows Mobile, which is still kicking around. Yep. Many rumored that the phone and platform would be based on your beloved Zune line of devices. And uh, as we'll see, there are definitely some Zune tie-ins here. 
Yeah, well, if the if they named it the Z- the Zune Kin, maybe it would have succeeded. Or if they had a brown one, right? Oh, a brown one. I would love that. Okay, so according to Engadget, the story kind of eventually went as follows: there was internal drama at Microsoft, and Windows Phone SVP Andy Lee's took control of the Kin project away from Jay Allard, who started it. So there were two executives. One was heading Windows Phone. The other one was heading the Kin project. Andy Lee's Windows Phone guy stole the Kin project away and attempted to consolidate them into a single operating system, but with different target markets. So presumably, maybe even the phones would operate differently, but really they were both intended to be underneath the Windows Phone umbrella. Because the old sidekick had run on Java, which was yeah. uh, even for 2008, 2009, kind of a no-go. Uh, it was dated, difficult to work with. But due to delays with Windows Phone, because Windows Phone didn't launch until 2010, uh, intentions to base the kin on Microsoft's newfangled iPhone OS and Android competitor just didn't really pan out. And so the phone software, the kin software, had to be based directly upon Windows CE instead of Windows Phone 7. Oh, Microsoft. Oh, Microsoft. Kind of complicated. (laughs) Running on Java blows my (laughs) mind. Like, on a mobile platform? That is crazy. Yeah. I wonder how long those things took to boot. I mean, I know Android's like got some Java stuff in it too, or at least used to. It does, but yeah. uh, does it still have Java Java stuff in Android? I don't even know. It might. I don't. Android's so old. Android started in like the the early bones of Android started in like two thousand three, two thousand four, didn't they? I think so. Who knows? Old stuff. Okay, so let's get to the phones. Yeah, the Microsoft Kin line was actually two phones: Kin One and Kin Two, and they were stylized. Ken 1 with 1 in all capital letters, and then Ken 2 yeah. in all capital letters. Ken 1. Ken 2. Ken 2. Not unlike no. the characters from The Cat in the Hat. You know, thing, thing 1 and Thing 2? Yeah, sure. Okay. I got young kids. I read a lot of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I haven't read it in a while, but Thing 1, I mean, Ken 1 was codenamed Turtle and featured a, are you ready for this? This is a big, big, crazy screen size. 2.6 inch touchscreen. So that's even smaller than the original iPhone, and it had a sliding QWERTY keyboard. This is a really bizarre-looking phone. It kind of looks like a fat, moderately chubby, misproportioned Palm Pre. You know the Palm Pre, like, still today? I mean, it looks dated, but it looks good. Mm -hmm. The Kin doesn't. (laughs) It's like the Palm Pre and the squatty iPod Nano hooked up. Yeah, it's not a super great look. It's weird. And then there was the Kin 2. Uh, which was the secondary handset. And that actually was one that a lot more people were interested in because it featured a side-sliding QWERTY keyboard. So it wasn't necessarily uh, you know, like the iPhone per se, but it wasn't unlike the Motorola Droid and a couple of other popular Android handsets on the market because at this time, 2008, 2009, it wasn't really 100% decided that software keyboards were the way to go. Right, um, And we kind of talked about in the past how the early days of Android saw some really unique looking handsets. This was similar in that vein. Kin 1, basically a fat palm pre, and Kin 2, nice big touchscreen on the front, 3.4 inches, and then a slide out keyboard would let you type with ease. It reminds me of my old Motorola Droid, kind of similar layout. Yeah, it does. It does a little bit. Here's the thing, though, about that sliding mechanism. I don't think sliding mechanisms are as cool as that. Did you ever have a sidekick? No, I didn't. Or get to use the hinge? Oh, they were so cool. It, like, swiveled around, didn't it? Yeah, it uh, swiveled 180 degrees. So you'd push it on one side, and the screen would, well, 
it would kick out. Yeah. <laughs> and then to put the screen back, you could just rotate it back towards the phone and then magnetic little clips would lock it in place. It was very, very cool. And you were always in danger of it just spinning off like a Frisbee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. So tell us what these phones had inside them, Stephen. Okay, so both phones featured Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and an accelerometer. Remember in our Palm Pre episode, we said some of those phones didn't have Wi-Fi? Like, yeah. I think the Sprint ones didn't have Wi-Fi. Like, of all yep. carriers where you really want Wi-Fi on your phone, it's Sprint. Let's just be <laughs> honest. You are not wrong. The more expensive Ken 2 had an 8-megapixel camera that could capture 720p video, while the Ken 1 was stuck with a 5-megapixel camera and half the storage at just 4 gigabytes, which is not a lot. No. And you said the more expensive kin to, we got to put into kind of perspective what these phones cost because they were very inexpensive for the time. The kin one was just $50 on contract with Verizon, a two-year contract as was kind of standard at the time. And the kin two was $100. And so you look at something like the iPhone uh, 3G and 3GS in this era, and those were starting price point out of, of 199, right? And so mm-hmm. yeah. it was, you know, for the Kin 1, a fourth of the cost of an iPhone. So pretty compelling from a price standpoint. They're social phones. Like that's the language that's used. And if you go back and read these documents, so they don't have app stores. They don't have the productivity suite that, you know, many smartphones were already gaining. We're talking about May of 2010. This is late. When these things launched. Right. This was released a month before the iPhone 4 was announced. Yeah. It was pretty, I mean, things were rocking and rolling, both with the iPhone and on the Android side of things. App Store was almost two years old, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Play Store was getting healthy. App compatibility was a little bit hit or miss on Android at the time. Kind of shows. Anyway, but uh, yeah, back then it was really bad. Yeah. Yeah, How's your Z Flip going? Is that that good? (laughs) Actually, yeah. It's right in front of me. It's it's sitting right next to my iPhone, and I have no regrets, man. I love it. I'm with Mike and Austin, Z Flip gang. I think we need to hear the hinge real quick. Oh, yeah, sure. Hold on. Here we go. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good sound. <laughs> that's pretty good. Okay, so what does a social phone mean? Like, wh- what are we talking about? So the software is like, it's interesting. I think it's more interesting than the hardware. Yeah. Uh, at the heart of it, you had to sign up for a Windows Live account. And we're going to get to why that's true in a second. Microsoft basically sync a bunch of data to the cloud. But the the interface, I mean, even looking at it now, it's really unlike almost anything else. So the, the, the home screen was not a grid of social media apps, right? It's not like maybe you have a social media folder on your phone with like Twitter, or Instagram. Like it's not that. It is sort of a, a social dashboard showing your recent posts from across a range of sources Uh, This was called The Loop. So like you stay in the loop. Ah, Uh Clever, right? Yeah. So you'd pick up your phone and you'd have new content from things like Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, and RSS feeds. And the idea was every time you pick your phone up, you could kind of glance and see what's going on across all those networks. Ah, yes. RSS. All the kids know about those. It it was super, super (laughs) hip with uh, teens in 2010. Right, right. Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, and RSS. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Okay, so that's a little bit weird, but not as weird as how this device was navigated. The Kins had a feature known as the Spot. And I would like to read a bit from Joshua Topolsky's review of the phones to explain it. So he says, The spot is meant to be a point on the device where you can drag all manner of content and then share that content with friends. For example, you might want to send a text message to a group of friends. 
Easy. Just drag their faces onto the spot and then click it. You'll be taken to a page where you can send an email or an MMS or SMS message. Simple enough. You can do complex actions like drag Facebook or Twitter messages, a URL, and a photo into this area, and then drag your friends into the spot as well, and then send them an email. Only an email, unfortunately, with all that content. So did these things not support MMS? I mean, it says an MMS message. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. Hmm. So I've been thinking about this. Okay. You know, the iPad just got the cursor support as we record this. Right. This is the opposite of that. Instead of the cursor going to where you want it, you had to bring things like to the cursor, this (laughs) this spot. (laughs) To the spot. You want to stay in the loop and you want to like hang out at the spot. I mean, so cool. So hip. I mean, obviously this failed in practice, but it doesn't seem initially like the worst idea in the world. Like I would kind of like for there to be like a little area on my iPhone where I could drag links or files or whatever and just let them chill there until I decide who I want to send them to. Mm. And then just be able to track contact information. But uh, yeah, overall, I don't think it was a super great implementation. Yeah, and Topolsky, he writes that this didn't work very well in practice. It was slow. It was error prone. And again, many of these networks didn't allow mixed content posting. Oh. Basically, it was just like an email share button. So that's probably why the email thing was so dominant. All the, all the kids love email. RSS and email. The hippest of all yeah. communication methods. That's <laughs> what so Microsoft thinks the kids want. Right, right. Okay. So the kin also, this is where I come in because this is the most important part of the kin. It included a Zoom client, uh, an app that just that looked just like the interface from the Zoom HD. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Zoom, we talked about that on episode two of this show. So go check that out at relay.fm slash flashback slash two or in the podcast app of your choice. And it's the best part of the interface of the Kin, by far. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the Zune was the best music player ever, so that makes sense. While we liked what Microsoft was doing with the interface, it was kind of a little bit half-baked, right? The Zune music, for example, uh, couldn't be shared with your friends through the spot, which is super weird because the Zune itself, at least with regular Zunes, you could share music with friends. But on your Kin, no. So yeah, Zune app in the Kin wasn't super great, even worse than a real Zune. Rest in peace. Oh, Microsoft. They just, like, <laughs> bolted it on. Yeah. Well, the good news is there's a great web browser, right? Mm, nope. Nope. <laughs> that was a dumpster fire. It's really bad. I found Phone Arena's review of the Ken, mm-hmm. and you should watch all of it because it's so good. But <laughs> they get to the browser, and it's, it, like, just chugs, and they give up. <laughs> like, ah, oh, next feature. <laughs> yeah. And every every review that I saw complained about how awful, how how almost impossibly bad the rendering engine was for the, the browser in in these kin devices, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, okay, so let's go back really quickly to why you had to create an online account to use this phone, right? We mentioned you needed a Windows Live account, and that was because of something called Kin Studio. And basically, it was an online copy of your SMS and MMS messages, uh, your call logs, photos, contacts, uh, your favorite RSS feeds, and more. (laughs) Uh, Now, we should note that the video clips that were uploaded to the cloud were only uploaded in 480p, and they were capped to one minute in length, which is not great. It kind of sounds a little similar to devices and services that we have today, like uh, iCloud and Google Drive Sync, uh, Dropbox to an extent. And I mean, it really kind of is. But it, it definitely wasn't perfect, right? It was kind of, remember Apple's first crack at the cloud with, uh, I guess, Dot Mac was technically their first crack, but MobileMe yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. It was iTools.mac and then MobileMe. MobileMe oh, was right. real bad. Yeah, MobileMe was super bad. And so, you know, this service was not great, but it wasn't that much horrible than kind of what was around at the time. Uh, the site was reportedly pretty slow in updating its content from your phone. And sometimes photos would show up super quickly, and other times it would take hours. I even read one review where it said that they just couldn't get their photos to sync at all. Mm. So, you know, early cloud days. I'm super glad everything works well nowadays. But, uh, yeah, sounds like uh, Microsoft kind of followed in uh, MobileMe's footsteps. Yeah, it's a great idea, though. Like, reading through this, again, like, I use iCloud a lot on my phone. And sure. a bunch of that stuff I have in the cloud, like, I don't have iMessage in the browser, right? Like That's true, yeah. I mean, this was just an online copy. You weren't actively texting, I don't think. But it really, like, we take all this for granted now. In 2009, 2010, when this thing rolled out, it's really cool. And I think it's, like, actually the most interesting part of this whole thing is, Hey, what if we extend your phone to the web yeah. and you have all, all of this stuff available to you wherever you are? That's it's a good idea. So that's kind of the crux of the phones. The the hardware was not super well inspired. It was kind of a copy of other stuff on the market. The software was neat, but still kind of limited compared to what other mobile platforms were doing at the time. Uh, so let's talk about how they were launched. Because <laughs> this is uh well. If, mm. if they hadn't already done enough wrong stuff, it's going to keep going, right? So the Kins right. were sold as Verizon exclusives. If you'll keep in mind, uh, you know, again, this is a couple months before the iPhone 4. But prior to the iPhone 4, the iPhone was an exclusive to AT&T. Yep, that's right. And so, and so there were a lot of these mobile carriers that were kind of really hoping for a, an iPhone competitor. Now, Verizon had the Droid series of phones, and those seemed to be doing pretty well, but it wasn't the iPhone, right? And so they were probably trying as best as they could. And who knows, maybe at this point in time, they were already pretty deep in agreement with Apple on, on how they were going to get the next generation handset on their network. But it, devices being exclusive to cell carriers at the time was kind of common, and it was it was an important thing. And so the Kin was kind of, uh, well, sold to Verizon and went on sale in May of 2010. Uh, it went up against phones that we kind of mentioned, like the iPhone 3GS, the Motorola Droid, and the Palm Pre Plus. But as we mentioned, it was sold at much cheaper prices. This is a time where Verizon is hardcore pushing the Droid line, right? That, that was a factor in the pre's sort of death on the vine, but it really hurt this phone and you mentioned something earlier, but I want to go back to it. This phone launched about six months before Windows Phone 7, which was a big push from Microsoft. Yeah. This was like the last like pre-Windows Phone 7 out the door. Very weird timing all the way around. It is. And I, look, I know Microsoft is a huge company and they've got a lot of people working on stuff, but it just seems weird that this would kind of launch and be expected to work, especially when they had something as good as Windows Phone 7. I get that it was delayed, but... And look, I get that nobody else other than me really cares or, or likes Windows Phone 7. We should do an episode on it because it's as important in many aspects, I think, as WebOS. It was just legendarily good. But anyway, that's aside the point. Um, <laughs> it, it was not put in a good position to be pitched by Verizon uh, stores or even Verizon's own advertising campaigns. Uh, so... What do you do in a situation like this? Well, you throw a dope launch event, of course. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> we have linked uh, CNET's live blog of the event, which was held at a club in San Francisco. And it is something, man, it is something else. All the screenshots and uh, all of the content used in the keynote 
were of what Microsoft managers assumed young, hip people uh, would, would be doing and how they would want to use a smartphone that, uh, you know, wasn't technically a full-blown smartphone because smartphones are for kind of business nerds, right? Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> My dad has a smartphone. I don't want one of those. There's a, a picture in this in this live blog of Derek Snyder. He was the product marketing manager at Microsoft for the Ken. On the back of his laptop is a big sticker that says, I love the way we talk. It's like, what are you doing, man? Like, what's going on? Uh, It's gold. It's too great. You almost can't make it up. Okay, so they do this launch event. The phones come out, and the reviews are are pretty mixed. We read from that Engadget one a second ago. Uh, Wired was puzzled by the Kin 1's design. But it liked the hardware of the more traditional 2 a lot more. Like we said, the 2 kind of made more sense. Yeah. Uh, It pointed out that the Verizon side of the deal, though, could be killer. So both phones required a two-year voice and data contract with a $70 a month minimum. So while the phones were cheap, they were on these really expensive plans, and it put them out of reach of many people who would maybe be in the market for this phone. Or if you're thinking about a parent like buying a first phone for your kid – it's probably not what you're going to do. Yeah, and it wasn't that much less money than just going out and buying a real smartphone, which these were objectively not. Reviews were pretty mixed. Not all of them were terrible. John Herman of Gizmoda called the Kins the best cell phones you would never buy, <laughs> praising <laughs> a lot of the ideas that were present, but overall ding the platform for its missing services. He said the uh, the following. It's smart for a company to control its focus designing a device, and that's what Microsoft has done here. Messaging and social media are the kin, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't come with a mapping application. There isn't a native one, despite the presence of a GPS receiver. (laughs) It doesn't mean that the browser shouldn't have tabs or a rendering engine that isn't excruciatingly slow. It doesn't mean that there should be no way to watch any web video of any kind, or that the phone should be arbitrarily tied to Microsoft's Bing search engine. Uh, It's no excuse for excluding any kind of calendar. Wait a minute, there is no calendar? What? Youths don't need calendars. (laughs) Oh, no. He goes on to say, these are all features that seem to be excluded at the expense of the phone's core competencies, which will be strikingly absent for people who used smartphones, but possibly excusable to someone weaned on dumb phones. But they're still worrisome. Yeah, that doesn't sound super great, does it? Mm -mm. No, that hurts a little bit. I'm sure that hurt Derek. What's his name? Yeah. And that was, look, that was one of the more positive ones. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it really was. At least it said they did stuff right. Oh, we mentioned the Engadget review. Uh, Topolsky closed his thoughts with this. In the end, we're left with two orphan devices, phones that feel like they should have been killed before they made it to market, but somehow slipped through. It's clear to us from conversations we'd have with Microsoft that there are people at the company with good ideas about what phones should and shouldn't do, but we don't feel that the Ken is representative of those ideas. The execution or lack thereof of these products makes us legitimately concerned about what the company will do with Windows Phone 7. We can only hope that the similarities between these devices and the Kin handsets don't stretch much further than the Windows Phone label, because in our estimation, Kin is one side of the family that needs to be disowned quickly. Yikes. That's not so good. Mm-mm. Okay, so I guess we got to talk about the death of Kin because it came 
well, pretty quickly. As a surprise to no one, the phone didn't sell well at all. It was too expensive for its target market of teens to 20-somethings. And that market who didn't really want smartphones just didn't exist. Kids wanted them. Smartphones were cool. And they viewed the kin as something that was far too limited and also far too expensive. Microsoft, of course, pushed some of the blame onto Verizon Wireless, the carrier, by telling the New York Times they were disappointed and confused that Verizon Wireless staff were just not promoting the devices actively enough. Huh, I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) Trouble in paradise. Yeah, and and the ads are, oh man, the ads were bad too. It was, is classic out-of-touch company trying to be cool, I feel. Uh, One of the kids' ads showed a bunch of teen girls at a party, and then there was one dude who took a photo of his chest under his shirt and sent it to a girl. Like, yeah, man, teens are so edgy and cool. And uh, it was just, I mean, this is a really bad, semi-cringy ad. It's it's not. It's not good. No. So the Ken lasted just 48 days on the market. (laughs) Hey, guess what, Stephen? It died one day sooner than the HP touchpad. That made it 49 days. You remember that? (laughs) Oh, boy. So June 30th, 2010, it was over, pulled from shelves. Verizon returned all the unsold product back to Microsoft in July, and its planned European release was canceled. Now, look, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the kin was dead because that's not totally true, although... It kind of just sounds like it is, right? Now, a few months later, in November 2010, Verizon's website confirmed that both Kin 1 and Kin 2 were back on the market with a reworked operating system. No, not Windows Phone. (laughs) The devices were called Kin 1M and Kin 2M. Mm, Mmm, that's terrible branding. Mm -hmm. The Kin 1M and the Kin 2M. So these these <laughs> new phones didn't use the Kin.com cloud service, which, as oh, we kind of on. discussed earlier, was the best part about the phones. The best part. Yeah. So this, of course, includes the Kin Loop, the Kin Spot, and Kin Studio, all gone, stripped the, from the phone. And uh, so, subsequently, the phones did not require a data plan. It was a dumb phone. Uh, and, excuse me, a feature phone. <sighs> it just wasn't the smartphone any longer that Kin intended to be, but... Maybe that's better because the Kin never really ended up being the smartphone that it wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both devices dropped $50, which meant that the Kin 1M was free with a two-year contract and the Kin 2M was 50 bucks. But look, there were some secrets at play. If you wanted a taste of the high life or what things were supposed to be like, you could downgrade the newer M phones by performing a key command upon boot sequence, and that would restore or flash the previous firmware that had the smartphone type features what (laughs) pretty wild huh it was short-lived ken.com and its services were discontinued in 2011 with all user information being deleted so this any original ken devices like still floating around basically became the 1m 2m style phone all of a sudden which is not what you want on a phone you bought 18 months ago right oh no the cool service is gone yeah and uh the 1m and 2m also quietly went away but if you were person who had been suckered into buying this thing, Verizon offered a free trade-in for a 3G smartphone of your choice. So I'm sure dozens of people took advantage of that. Hey, you know, it's better than nothing. I really looked as hard as I could to see what that meant because they, they say a 3G smartphone of your choice. But is it of a choice of like two or three really crappy yeah. 3G phones or is it anything? Like could you, could you trade your old kin, your decrepit kin for an iPhone? 
Probably not. Sure, surely not. <laughs> but boy, that sure would be cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I guess we got to talk about what we can learn. What can we learn, Stephen? Because this is a disaster. Yeah, a couple things. One, the Microsoft Kins are very expensive when they show up on eBay because, yes, I looked. Oh, my goodness. Yes, they are. 350 bucks for a Ken 1M. A lot yep. of money. Okay, so I think for me, what I, le- what I walk away from this with is it's really important important to know who your phone is for. And uh, something at the launch jumped out at me. So John Harabin, who's a senior VP at Verizon at the time, said, this is the phone that you will use to be the first to comment on someone's photo. It's not just good for teens. It's also good for parents. Mm. I think he's trying to get to is like to the strength of the loop, right? Oh, your friend posted a photo. It's on your loop on your phone. You tap on it and you comment. You don't have to go into an app to do this. Right. But... I don't, that's not an important metric for a lot of people. And at some point you just should have made a smartphone. Like you want this to be for teens, but it's way too expensive. And you want it to maybe be for parents, but it's like marketed towards kids. And like the UI is like got lime green all over the back of the phone is this big green logo. Like it looks like a kid's phone. I think they were just really confused out of the gate and and it, it did it in. Yeah. I think part of the mistake was, I don't know, maybe putting social media at the center of the phones. Uh, you look at someone like uh, Facebook. Remember Facebook had that phone that had the blue F on the keyboard, which would yeah. immediately take you to the Facebook? Because like, obviously, that's the only thing you're going to do on your phone. I mean, we look at smartphones today, and a lot of what people do is social media. But I think this app model really ended up working out <laughs> in the iPhone and Android operating system's favor. In that same Gizmodo review that we mentioned earlier, uh, Herman wrote the following. The concept is to put social media at the center of the phones. Simple, right? Well, not if you do it right. In terms of features, this translates to a serious reimagining of how a mobile operating system works, with Facebook, Twitter, and MySpace feeds as prominently displayed on the device's three-part home screen as basic apps like a web browser, which are given the same amount of space as the contact screen. That's what Microsoft has identified as core to the kin, and by proxy, core to young people, friends, the social networking part of the internet. (sighs) Here's the thing. I think Microsoft ended up doing... I think they took a lot of what was intended to be on the Kin and baked it into Windows Mobile a little bit better. I mean, you look at Windows Phone 7, and there was the People tab. Did you ever have one of these phones to play around with? I played I played with one very briefly, but I thought about that when we, when we were talking about this phone, that it would surface information for you. You didn't have yeah. to dig into a bunch of app icons and be like, oh, someone updated their thing. It would just show it to you when you picked up your phone. Yeah, uh, this and the people tab was kind of the same. You would go into a contact on your phone's list and it would say, okay, here's everything that this individual has done on all of the social networks you follow them on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on MySpace or whatever. And I think in principle, that's kind of cool. But at the same time, I think people consume social media differently. <laughs> I don't think it's mm-hmm. it's much of a stalkerish kind of, what is this exact person doing right now? Rather, I mean, we look at how our social media platforms have kind of changed into these dynamic feeds that are designed to kind of control engagement. And very rarely do I find myself on social media looking for a specific person's post or seeing if someone specifically has posted. And that's kind of what these devices intended to do. I think 
the biggest problem, though, is just timing and organization. I mean, depending on when you start the clock, Microsoft was two to three years late to market, uh, mostly because they tried to move Sidekick's Java-based OS to Windows CE. But I think more importantly, because of all these internal battles that kind of restarted and set the project back multiple times. I don't think that the Kin would have been such a horrible device had it launched in 2007, right? Because the iPhone was $600 when it launched. It, it too, was limited in a, you know, in a lot of ways up until mm-hmm. the launch of the App Store. The iPhone was, you know, not particularly, uh, you know, feature rich, uh, at least not compared to, you know, smartphones from Palm and, and BlackBerry. And maybe Kin, had it launched at that time, would have seen a little bit of pull. They could have taken some of the sidekick crowd or some of the razor crowd who were looking to get more than a dumb phone, but weren't quite ready yet for an expensive smartphone, but they blew it. (laughs) They sure did. I don't want to say that's a a classic Microsoft move, but you know, (laughs) I think the first company that we've done two products about, you know, two products episodes. So they do so many things part of the way, like so well, and then they just trip at the finish line, man. That's that's the can. Go check out those links. You can find them at relay.fm slash flashback slash eight. And uh, go read all about it. Definitely go watch that review by Phone Arena. It is just a real-time capsule in a bunch of ways. Hey, you want to know something really interesting, Stephen? Yes, I do. You mentioned how there's a $350 Microsoft Kin 1, uh, Kin 1M on, on eBay. Well, there is another one at auction which has an ending bid of one hour and 33 minutes away. And it's at $118 with no bids. And so I know you don't want it. I'm going to buy it before this episode goes up and anyone can snipe it from me. <laughs> so enjoy that $350 one on, uh, on eBay, suckers. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Quinn, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me on all of the social medias at SnazzyQ. Uh, I'm not on RSS, but I am everywhere else. And you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash snazzy. Well, I guess technically I am on RSS. This is... is The podcast is literally just an RSS feed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) All right. Where can we find you, Steven? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at ISMH and my writing at 512pixels.net. I think that does it. So, Quinn, why don't you uh, say goodbye to the lovely people out there? Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, as always, stay snazzy. Oh, wait, no. Wrong. Wrong place for that. I kind of like it, though. Some crossover, some synergy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Synergy. I guess I'll just say adios at this point, and we'll be done. All right. Bye-bye. That ending was not good. (laughs) You want to redo it? (laughs) Nope. It's going in. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Oh, that's funny.